are you? Are you doing? Uh, all right. Um, awesome. Okay. Is everybody? I think everyone's still kind of recovering from wings and ice creams. I think is really what's going on. How about the PJs and the white shirts? Have they recovered yet from guys? <laughs> I tossed my shirt. Just gonna put that up here. Um, it was in the dumpster before that was through. Um, look, there's nothing like a little public uh, humiliation to bring the group together. So I'm pretty sure Wingstop and Starbucks appreciated Guys and Girls Night, and everyone's better for it. I'm really proud of you guys. Um, anyway, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about or don't know who I am. I'm Sid Drew, and this is RUF Reform University Fellowship at New Mexico State University. That's where you are. Uh, Christian, uh, at MSU, obviously we know that is. RUF, let me try there. Uh, Reform University Fellowship is a campus ministry and exists to serve the campus in the name of Jesus. Okay? Um, let me tell you a little bit more about who RUF exists for. RF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, for the believer and the unbeliever, for the, the college Democrat and the college Republican, for the put-together prepster who's not afraid to rock a ripped sweater, and the student who's not afraid to rock sweatpants and uncombed hair. Both somehow can coexist in RF exists for those who think that Jesus is it, and those who think there must be something more than Jesus. In other words, whoever you are, wherever you are, thanks for coming. Welcome. I hope you feel welcomed. Um, we're glad you're here. If you've been to RUF before or a couple of times, do you know your way around? Get to know somebody new, or perhaps reintroduce yourself to somebody whose name you forgot, <laughs> which is happening all over all the time. So uh, it's okay if you mess up. So, um, if you're new, thanks again for coming, and feel free just to try to chill out, um, maybe meet a few new people, make a new friend, a few new friends, but let RUF welcome you. Okay, let's talk a little bit about RUF sign up. Uh, okay, so there's two parts of it. There's the big event, which is big in an event, so, which is exciting description. And we're doing something to beautify Las Cruces, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But if you want to be on that mailing list, this is a good way to get involved or you have a good way to uh, get to know more about it. If you sign up before, don't sign up again. If you don't want to sign up, that's fine. This isn't some weird chain email where we're going to email you about Aunt Betty. If you don't email nine people, she might break her leg. That's not what this is about. Uh, you won't get spammed. Uh, so anyway. We're glad you're here. Uh, this is great. We're excited that you're in large group. Um, I again would encourage you to take the next step and check out the small group Bible study. And I have a metaphor for you. Already, it's going to be a long night. Um, large group. What we're doing here is sort of like the front hall. If RF is a house, we're, this is kind of like the front hall, the entrance way, maybe even partly the lawn, depending on how your house is laid out. Porch. Anyway. Um, and small groups are sort of like the kitchen and the living room of RUF, okay? So large group is definitely important, and again, we're glad you're here. Um, there's lots to appreciate, we get to sing, we get to pray, we get to talk about the Bible, but small groups also important too. 
And what small groups are important is that's where we think that, and we hope that the real back and forth conversation, the real back and forth relationships are going to happen in small group. Um, you know, just like the back and forth relationships and conversations happen over the kitchen counter or in the living room of your house. Look at that metaphor. <laughs> so good. Okay. <laughs> so excited about that one. Okay, let's move on. Um, too bad Eric Reed isn't here because he makes fun of me because everything turns into a house metaphor. But <laughs> here we are. Okay. Go build your bridges or check your bridges, Eric. Um, REF cares about NMSU, honestly. Uh, we care about the students, we care about the campus. And so what that's about, that basically means that uh, we try to meet on campus on Tuesdays, if you notice that, uh, in this room preferably, but oftentimes we get kicked out when we want the wilderness of the campus. We find a room. Uh, my office, I have three different locations this year. Uh, out near Einstein's is uh, kind of the primary location. It's kind of getting renovated, waiting for the new walls to come in. Uh, and then I've got French or food court. That's sort of more if we're doing a, a power lunch. That's where we meet. Um, and then I've got the Campus Barnes & Noble. So basically that's an attempt for us in, uh, in RUF to kind of be on the campus and be for the campus. Another way that we show concern for NMSU is by participating in things like the big event, which is going around. The big event is a campus-wide community service effort where we get to work alongside other organizations at NMSU to care about our city and to care about our world. So it's a good opportunity to do that. It's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I think a lot about what, um, what does REF do that would help us to be missed if we left. And I would hope that it starts with things like the big event and keep state great, and it continues on into our own ways of loving the campus. Okay. So, announcements rehashed. That was fun, warmed over. Okay, let's start talking about the passage. Uh, this semester at large group, again, what we're doing here, we're discussing the book of Colossians in the Bible. Paul writes a letter to Colossa, the church in Colossa, which is in modern-day Turkey. And here's my best attempt for a title uh, this is my best crack at it for what the title of our study of Colossians is. And here it is. What if enough were actually enough? How Jesus is all we ever really wanted and needed anyway. Okay, I'll say it again. What if enough were actually enough? How Jesus is all we really ever needed and wanted anyway. Okay? That's kind of trying to get at, that tells trying to get at what the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians is about. Uh, again, I hope to talk about tonight um, a little bit about what's behind um, the title. And as we talk about the sermon or the talk, we'll do that. But I also wanted to talk about um, really the message of Colossians in a nutshell is this. Jesus is what the world has been, is, and will be waiting for. Jesus is what the world has been, is, and will be waiting for. Now maybe that sounds arrogant to you. Or maybe it sounds very anticlimactic, like, oh, great. Or maybe that sounds cool, but you have no idea what I mean. You're in luck. We're all in luck, because Paul's going to unpack what that means, how and why Jesus is what everyone's waiting for, whether we know it or not, in this passage that we're going to look at tonight. Um, Paul, the author of Colossians, is showing and telling us about a great mystery. And the mystery is this. Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery we're going to unpack. Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. So, um, and really, 
just to think about it, this great mystery, once we apprehend it by faith, changes everyone who comes in contact with it. Changes the way that they live and how they live and what they live for. With all of that in mind, turn to the book of Colossians, the letter to, to the Colossians. Um, we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5, so we're bridging a chapter. It will be awkward. I will say chapter 1 and chapter 2 far too many times tonight, and you will be uncomfortable just like I'm uncomfortable every time I say it. Um, too bad there's a chapter marker there. I don't think there should be. Um, so the book of Colossians, if you're looking at a Bible, uh, is between uh, the letters of Philippians and First Thess- Thessalonians, and it's in the New Testament. So if you go past Romans... If you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. Okay, so there it is. Um, if you have a bulletin, it's in there. It's in the inside right. That's nice. I feel like there was a lot of background noise for a second there. I felt like I was in some sort of coffee shop where was chatting in the background. It's really like all of a sudden. Okay, that's helpful. Um. Anyway, you don't need to know my personal thought process, do you? Okay, let's look at this Bible verse. Uh, these verses. So uh, again, Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-four. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Again, see the awkwardness. You stand for the reading of scripture. But we're going to read out the English Aaron version translation. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, this is Paul talking, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The Gentiles, by the way, are most of us. If you're not Jewish in the audience, ethnically or religiously, you're a Gentile. Uh, anyway, so to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in my body, or in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Friends, these are the words of God that are more precious than gold, even much fine gold, and they were sweeter than honey, even honey from the honeycomb. Would you pray with me? Father, um, pray that you would help us to be thankful for this time to look into the mystery of history, the mystery of the world, of what everything's pointing to you, from the trees to the sky, to the stars, to the moon, to the sun, uh, what our lives are pointing to, whether our feet know we're going there or not. I pray that you, Father, would reveal what it means that Christ is, is in those who believe uh, in the hope of glory. I pray, Father, that you'd be with this time together, that you'd set it apart, that you'd help us to leave aside some of the things that we entered with, tests and papers and everything else that's sort of half-stressing us out, 
And I pray that you would help us to focus, to cling to your words tonight to us. And I pray that uh, you'd help us to hit us uh, in places of comfort and also help us to make us a little uncomfortable. And I pray that we could be better for it. We trust your spirit to fill us and to do that work. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. You be seated. Two thousand six was a wonderful year. Um, it was a year that a book was published called *The Secrets*. The Secrets. Okay. Has anyone heard of the book *The Secrets*? Maybe not because it's *The Secrets*. Uh, no. Actually, you should have heard about it. Oprah Winfrey had an had an author go to Burn burn on her show, her talk show, an Oprah's talk show, two different times. Okay, and this girl wrote a burn. Uh, talked about what the secret was, secretly, I'm sure. And um, the book took off in terms of sales. So let me just give you some stats to show you just how big this book was. The secret was at the top of New York Times bestseller, bestseller list for 146 consecutive weeks. Okay, that's almost three years in a row that the secret was at the top of the bestseller list. <coughs> Grasp that for a second. It has something like over 21 million copies in print. <laughs> A lot of, that's a lot of millions, okay? And it's been translated into, into around 44 different languages. The secrets, okay? So this book, I'm, my, my argument, and again, 2006 might have been when you were, when you were young and, and when I was younger. Uh, but <laughs> anyway... Um, Anyway, I'm, my argument is this isn't just some best-selling book. This is a phenomenon. This is a cultural phenomenon. The Secret had lots of power. And my question is, why was this book, The Secret, so big? Why was The Secret such a phenomenon? Let me tell you what, why it wasn't a phenomenon. It wasn't a phenomenon because it was anything new. The Secret actually was just the power of positive thinking. Okay. The power of positive thinking, this is a popular 20th century idea that has infiltrated many of our churches, sadly. Uh, and basically, this is how the power of positive thinking works. The universe is attracted to positive energy. So the way that we get what we want, life, health, wealth, happiness, is to ask the universe for what we want. And to believe that the universe is going to give us health, wealth, and happiness. And if we believe it enough, if we name it and then claim it, we get the secret. Health, wealth, and happiness. Um, even more sad than this premise, which is hard to believe, um, is that the secret is a repackaged self-help version of an older book. She didn't, even, she didn't even write a new book. It was a 1910 book. Although she changed the title in a wonderful way. The first title was called The Science of Getting Rich. So she went from The Science of Getting Rich to The Secret. Well, she could understand why one didn't go very far. The other was a 146-week bestseller. Okay? The Secret. And, okay, anyway, let's get back to the message of this bestselling book, The Secret. The power of positive thinking, name it and then claim it prayer to the universe instead of God. Is that really the secret? That's just, that's what the secret's all about? I mean, with the cool cover, with like the, the denim vintage sort of like, but also sort of floweriness. I don't know if you've seen the cover. It's secretive. Um, but, I mean, it's just an old idea that's kind of 
ridiculous, isn't it? Why is this such a huge phenomenon? Why did everyone buy this book? Why is everyone talking about this book? Why was this a huge deal for three years of, of American and Western and the world's history? I mean, for instance, how many poor people in the world pray for a Ferrari that never shows up in their driveway, even though they pray really hard? Or how many people in the world who are poor pay for a mansion instead of a shack that's there, and they never really get it? Obviously, the secret doesn't work. So why did it actually become such a phenomenon? I really think the triumph of the secret is the triumph of two things. First, over-the-top marketing, clearly. That was amazing, to go from the science of getting rich to the secret was brilliant. Um, second, it's a feeling that we all have deep down inside that we're missing out on something. That's why the secret is so powerful. We feel like we're missing something. We're missing out on something. We just have to have the right knowledge for the right person to tell it to us in the right way and we get it. We'll get that thing that we want and need. The secret is really just, uh, and the reason I've been using it as, a, as an example, it's just an exaggerated, over-the-top, billboard-sized version of the next, next thing. That next sexy, new book or experience that we think we all need. It's just a great example of that. Uh, let me just give you a couple of ideas here. In parenting, I already missed the boat about how to be a better Asian tiger mom. Movement. Uh, I've heard of that book. Um, and now the latest bestseller tells me I should raise my children more in the French tradition, in the French style. So that's the latest bestseller. Uh, in dieting, um, I missed the all-meat Atkins diet, and I didn't go for the low-carb South Beach diet. And now we're already into, uh, and I even missed the trim spa wave, um, which the spokesperson died mysteriously, so that's not a great um, thing for trim spa. And um, but now we're into the government's new version of the defunct food groups pyramid, my plate. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a plate divided into percentages. So that's how we should live our dieting life, apparently. That's the plan. That's the thing we never got. We didn't have a pie chart. And it's actually a plate because pie's not. That's what we didn't have. That's what we were missing. That's why all of America is obese, because we didn't have a pie chart. It's a plate. Um, and if you're Christian in the audience, just wait 10 years, and we'll see these parenting and dieting trends repackaged with a few biblical proof texts and 1990s color schemes. We will. I mean, that's what the Christian subculture does best, right? We take things that are 10 years old and we redo them. I mean, music, movies, even our Bibles. I mean, have you seen our Bibles? I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to call people out. I'm sorry. That's just, why are we doing that? Because <laughs> we want the secrets. We want the new, new thing, the next best thing, the next sexy thing. Okay, I'm going to step off my obnoxious soapbox. I really probably just don't know what happened to you. The audience is there. And let me just, um, let me just say this. I think the reasons that we're looking for the secret is that we feel something's lacking in our lives in the world. Okay? We desperately feel that. And we look for that something new or that some kind of secret knowledge to find what's missing. Maybe you're not sure about Jesus and Christianity, and that desire for something new, for something more, drew you here tonight. Or maybe you're a Christian who is looking for the secret. I mean, it might be completely unconscious. It might be well below your awareness radar. 
and you just think that there's some new technique or some new Bible passage or some new ministry that will cure your apathy. That thing that some of us are going through, they're going through the motions for days and months and years even, of thinking, I don't know if I'm getting this Christian thing. I don't know if I'm getting the right finger hold on how to climb this Christian wall. And I'm sure there are some of you here who are just bored and tired of the secret. Maybe of Jesus in the Bible, you're tired and bored. Well, in our passage, Paul is telling all of us, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5, is all about the secret. You see, some slick false teachers had been coming into Colossae and selling their ancient, contemporary, vintage, edgy, packaged goods. <coughs> Verse 4 tells us their marketing is working at some level. And Paul even has to write this letter telling us that their marketing is working at some level. And so what does Paul do to counter this like awesome secret? What does he do? Does he put together an even sexier ministry package that includes skydiving with Jesus and secret handshakes? Does he do that? Is that what Paul's answer to the secret is? No. This is what he does. He simply tells them that the mystery, the secret, he tells us that the mystery, the secret, is Jesus. That's it. And then he encourages them and us to join in the fellowship of suffering. That is unsexy Paul. What are you doing? Your ministry will never survive. In Colossians 1, verses 24 through Colossians 2, verse 5, God is speaking through Paul to tell us this. The mystery, the buried treasure is Jesus. That's the mystery, the buried treasure. And Jesus is buried inside of all those people who believe. <coughs> so that we can gloriously and self-sacrificially love God and other people. Let me put it a little more simply, because that's a lot to kind of unpack. We have very treasure metaphors, we have love, gloriously, self-sacrificially. Let me put it very simply. Jesus is it. He's it. And he changes the why and how of your lifestyle. <coughs> Jesus is it, and he changes the why and the how of your lifestyle. Okay? We're tracking? Let's talk about the passage for a second. Um, you've got to understand that this is, this is the part of the letter that should feel the most awkward. This is Paul pouring out his heart about what he does for a living to people he's never even seen or met. And so you have to excuse Paul that a lot of his thoughts are out of order. <coughs> he's excited that he's out of breath, that he's pouring out his heart, and that there's a little bit hard to actually give you a simple outline. So I'm really going to divide our, our time this evening into two parts, into two different thoughts uh, that will hopefully help you understand what he's saying. Um, first... Here's what Paul's saying. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we see this truth primarily in verses 26 through 28, and again in verses 2 through 3. Second, this mystery and glory moves us to suffer and to struggle for other people. And we see this truth primarily everywhere else. Verses 24 through 25, verse 29, verses 1 and 2 and 4 and 5. Okay? 
So, in other words, Paul is preaching, his preaching teaches us that Jesus is the not-so-secret secret. Jesus is the not-so-secret secret. And Paul's life is teaching us that this public secret changes the way that we live and love. And Paul is describing his message in the middle and describing his ministry on the beginning and the ends of the passage. Okay? So that's kind of how you can understand the layout of the passage. Let's look at the mystery and the treasure of Christ in us. Okay? So I'm sure some of you, when you hear the word mystery, have a lot of different images that come to your head. My head is Scooby-Doo in the mystery machine. Yeah. Maybe that dates me. Um, I screw up in front of the television. I can't help it. Uh, I, I grew up watching Scooby-Doo with solving crimes together with Velma and Reddy and uh, Daphne. Are you familiar with Scooby-Doo? Anybody? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's basically a doctor who solves crimes uh, and talks, but not very clearly. And he's like Wishbone. But he's like, uh, you a comparison. I wasn't sure if it would attract us to do that. Seems more like my generation. So I'm going to give it to you. It's like Wishbone, but he's less literary. And he's more cartoon animated. Does that kind of give you a uh, feeling for Scooby Doo? Okay. So, <laughs> the mystery. And basically, Scooby Doo has a bunch of mysteries that the people solve. And that's immediately where our mind goes to is oh, yeah, it's just like a mystery. Like it's a person in disguise. Or there's some clues for Thelma, the person who's the brains behind their operation, to solve. And, and Scooby, whose real name is Willard, anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't know that today. He guess he's got to pull off the mask accidentally of this monster that's not really a monster. And it's an old man who's angry about the property next to him that he wants to buy for cheap. That's usually the plot line of Scooby Doo. Hate to ruin it for you. Um, but anyway, that's what we think about mystery. But Paul's saying that actually mystery is something quite different. It doesn't involve masks. It doesn't involve finding clues. Mystery is something that's right in front of us before our very faces. The once veiled Jewish prophecy of the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, is made has been made public and front and center on the center stage of history in the person of Jesus. And the mystery is Jesus. Jesus Christ is mysterious not because he's hidden, not because he's hard to find, not because it's hard to hear about him, but because he's both God and man. And that is something that if you think about long enough, your head looks good. How are you 100% God and 100% man? The engineers in the room are already angry. Okay. The poets are happy. Okay. Um, and the spirit of this God-man dwells inside, if it isn't already kind of hard to understand, the spirit of this God-man dwells inside of anyone who believes in him. Okay. So that we can change for the better, so that what's lacking inside of us, what feels hollow and empty, that thing that makes us think we don't have it all together, is actually being filled by Jesus. That's the whole point of the mystery. That's why it's a mystery. And that's why it's the center of all things. And this is what Paul is getting worked up over. You can think of him in sweat. You can think of him shouting, stammering, pacing around. He's saying, look, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed. Verse 26. Jesus is the riches. Jesus is the hope of glory. Verse 27. Jesus is the full assurance of understanding and knowledge. Verse 2. And Jesus is the source of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 3. 
we look for riches, we look for treasures, we look for wisdom, we look for knowledge, and we look for glory in so many other places other than where they're found. And that's Jesus. The mystery is that all of those good things are in Jesus Christ. That's a huge claim. And none of us believe it. At some level, we all doubt that. And this is, what we, this is why I can tell you that, because look at our lives. I can look at your checkbook, and I can look at your planner, and I can tell you that we don't believe this. You can look at my checkbook and my planner, you can, I can, you can tell me that you don't believe this. I have, I have trouble. But let's think about where we're looking. Jesus, the mystery, all the riches, all the glory, all the knowledge is not in your next good grade. And it's not in the string of good grades that leads to a good job. It's not in the next boy or girl that you hope likes you. They're not in the moving out from home or the buying a home. Their true riches, true wisdom, true glory are not even in the next radical Christian nonprofit movement that you decide to join or the awesome rock Christian concert that you decide to go to. That's not where they are. They're in Jesus. Simply all of these good and perfect gifts come from the Father and reside in Jesus. And by faith, Jesus, the possessor of infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, and infinite wonder, resides in you. Do we get that we can either easily get what we desperately want? God gives it to us for free, and that's called grace, if we don't have it. Or if you do believe in Jesus, and in Jesus' fullness, you already have what you want. You already have that something else that you want. Look, I'm not promising, I'm not over-promising the impossible here, okay? The world, this world is not heaven, and it sucks sometimes, okay? It's just terrible. You're, but here, let me, let me tell you this. Your next purchase, your next job, your next experience, my next purchase, my next job, my next experience won't make my life, won't make the world suck less. The only person that can do that is Jesus. Okay? We need Jesus. That's it. And for some of you, for me, this is a sweet, sweet relief. If you're tired, if you're hurt, if you're disappointed like I am right about now in my life. Jesus. I love it. I work for a great organization called Are You At? I love this is a saying in Are You At? Because it's the most ridiculous saying ever. A naked Jewish guy on a cross is our fastball. A naked Jewish guy on a cross is our fastball. Here's what that means. A fastball is the pitch that a pitcher has the main pitch, okay? It's the bread and butter of any pitcher. You've got to have a good fastball. If you don't have a good fastball, you don't make it on the mound. You get kicked off, okay? And a fastball is the pitch that you go to as a pitcher when you're down in the count, okay? When you've got more balls than strikes. That's what you go to. It's the pitch that you throw when you've got nothing else left to throw. You throw a fastball. So what I think that RUF means by that that what we mean by that is our only hope, our only help is Jesus. It's it. And ministry doesn't look like the latest, greatest program or formula. It just doesn't. It looks like bringing people to the healing hands and wounded feet of Jesus Christ. 
He's the only one who can bind up what's morally broken inside of us. He's the only one that begins to satisfy the hungers and thirsts that we have. He's the only one who can do anything about the wounds that we carry from our friends and the people we despise. But, what is Paul driving at? What does it mean that this Jesus is inside you? And by the way, the you here is you plural. You all, or ye, however you want to do it, okay? He's talking about you plural, talking about all of us as a body. What does he mean by this mystery that Jesus Christ is in a group of people gathered, not just one person? I think a scholar named Tom Wright hits it perfect. He says that being in Christ means this. This is why all that stuff makes sense about Jesus. What is true about Jesus, what's true about him, becomes true about us. What's true about him, what's true for him, becomes true of us. This is what headship means, by the way. It doesn't mean being barefoot and in the kitchen. That's nowhere in the Bible to be found, by the way, ladies or gentlemen. Um, headship primarily means this. It means that the head, what happens to the head, Jesus, also happens to the body, as his church. Okay. So basically, what that means is, what Jesus gets, we by faith get in a community. So what Jesus gets, we by faith get in a community. Let me explain. Jesus is inside of those people who believe that he is inside of them. Okay? And our experiences, uh, Jesus in us means that our life and our death is one with Jesus' life and his death. Our persons and our experiences are one, are united, spiritually, really, with Jesus' person and experience. This is super complicated, by the way. Okay? I'm trying to give you, it's a mystery. I'm trying to explain it to you. Okay? What does it mean to be in Jesus? It means that everything that we are is connected to everything that Jesus is. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why you don't need anything else. And that's the not-so-secret secret. Okay? We really and truly have died to sin like Jesus has really and truly died to sin on the cross. Okay? So our failures that lead to like a stain of guilt no longer hold us. There's no residual guilt. And our past no longer controls our present. Okay? We really and truly live to righteousness like Jesus did after the resurrection. And so we absolutely, we're absolutely good in God's eyes. And it's acceptance leads us to be good towards God and others. Do we get how powerful that is? Like, I'm trying to explain to you why going to Jesus actually works. Why Jesus is our fastball. Why Jesus is the only thing that we've got. And it's because there's this metaphysical, incredibly complicated, spiritual, but real unity between Jesus and us. He is in us and we are in him. Okay. The trouble is that all the crucified sin and resurrection life, all of this is hard to believe all the time, isn't it? That's like a really hard thing to even understand, let alone to believe all the time. And Paul's going to spend the rest of Colossians, the majority of chapters 2 and 3, explaining why we should try to believe that. All the time. Fully. Okay? So if you don't get that now, that's okay. We're moving on. Okay? I'm, I'm really afraid that I lost some of you there. Maybe it was just way too long without an illustration. Maybe it was just too much density. But let me explain what it means to die to sin and live to righteousness. And it's confusing, deep, mysterious stuff. 
but I'm going to take on one of them and let Paul take on the other. Okay? Let me explain what resurrection life inside of us is. The Holy Spirit. Resurrection life inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is what actually binds and satisfies and heals us. Okay? On a deep level, this is how Jesus changes us for the better. Jesus' resurrection life inside of us is actually why we get better. Why we get healed. Why we have faith in Jesus. And let Paul explain what dying sin is. Jesus' crucifixion. What does it mean to participate in that? How do you participate in something that already happened? How do we die to sin daily? He describes the life and ministry of Jesus. So, we're moving from mystery to what mystery does for us, okay, how we live. So if you're not tracking, here we are. Okay. Because Jesus is inside of Paul, okay, Jesus by his spirit is inside of Paul, Paul's life is fundamentally changed. It changes anyone who is who has Jesus inside of him. The spirit within him is energizing his emotions, his words, his actions, his thoughts to a real and joyful kind of love. Look at verse 29 with me for a second, okay? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's awesome, but let me give you a better translation. Paul admits that he's toiling and striving, quote, literally, this is my translation, according to God's energy working in me power. Does that make sense to anybody? The reason that you can do anything, the reason that you can love at all, is because God is literally loving you inside out. We also know that Paul's life description tells us that dying to sin and loving other people is self-sacrificial. It is tough, agonizing work. Okay? We see this in verse 24. Paul tells us that he is rejoicing in the sufferings of the, for the Colossians and for our sakes. He rejoices in his suffering. Okay, what the heck does that mean? Where he gets to that? And then this is even more mysterious. In my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body and church. The whole verse is hard to understand. Okay? So I'm going to unpack it first and second. First, why is Paul rejoicing about suffering? That's just weird. For most of us, right? This is definitely countercultural. This is definitely counter me, right? I mean, Paul is sitting there rejoicing over, he's saying suffering's a gift. And every time I get suffering, I see it as a nuisance, if not an affliction. Okay? But Paul's right. And I'm not going to sit there and try to explain to you some beautiful proof. But I'm going to give one beautiful sentence about why he's right. Man has places in his heart which do not yet exist. And into them enters suffering in order that they may have existence. That is a gorgeous quote. Let me read it again. Man has places in his heart which do not yet exist, and into them enters suffering in order that they may have existence. What Paul, the novelist Leo, uh, Leon Loy, French Catholic, says there is the only way that we reach maturity is our heart grows bigger. We need to suffer. The difference between like a spoiled little kid and like, have you ever seen the old people that are extremely generous and give you worthers all the time? Um, the difference between them, the spoiled little kid, and the super generous guy, older guy, is that one's had a lifetime of facing suffering. It softens us. It makes us better at loving. Suffering grows our hearts and reorders our priorities from pet pleasures to love, from comfort to Jesus. 
Suffering is quite simply how we grow up. It's how we become mature. It's how we become adults. But what about the second part of the verse? What does Paul mean by filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Look, based on the rest of chapter 1, we know that he's not talking about something finishing the Christ's death there. Okay? Christ reconciling, peacemaking death is complete. It's finished. It's sufficient. It's enough. So what is he talking about? It's not like Paul is adding something to the cross there. Okay? What he's saying is that there's something lacking in the communication of Jesus' death. And this point is from a guy named John Piper, by the way, a pastor. Okay? Here's what he says. Um, the Colossians, we don't see, we don't experience firsthand the suffering of Jesus' life and death on the cross. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what we don't see. We don't experience that. And there's a sense in which we will only know the kind of suffering love of Jesus by a personal experience. We have to see someone else sacrifice themselves, maybe not die physically, but die spiritually or emotionally for us. We know the suffering love of Jesus when we know, when we see and when we feel the suffering love of one of Jesus' followers. We're tracking, okay? For the Colossians, it was knowing that Paul was in prison for them. And that a guy named Epaphras was wrestling in prayer daily for their growth in Jesus. For me, on my life, it was a teammate named Joel Sadler, who lived in my freshman hall, who, su- who struggled through bipolar and a back injury that nearly ended his scholarship and his career in soccer. Well, let me tell you a story from a guy named Jay Oswald Sanders about what it was for a village in rural India. What it was for who it was that brought them the gospel in a real way. Look, there's a man from India who heard the gospel for the first time and he believed in Jesus. Um, and he got super excited. He was like, where has this message been in all my lives? Where have I ever heard of in Jesus or hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? And this good news made him want to spread the gospel to all of India. And so he took off. He took off with any preparations, without anything. And he went barefoot from village to village spreading the gospel. Okay? He walked miles and miles and miles without shoes or sandals. And his hardships were many. It was hard on his feet to walk all of those miles. <laughs> day after day, mile after mile, he became more and more discouraged and finally, he reached a certain village where he was sure that his gospel would be heard. This message that meant so much to him would actually be reached and would mean a lot to the people that he, he said it to. And so he spoke to the villagers about who Jesus is. And he said basically the same thing I'm saying that some of you are falling asleep during. That basically, Jesus is everything. He's the riches. And it's hard for us to understand, but here he is. And this is super important. And they rejected him. They kicked him out. The guy, so tired he could barely walk, his feet hurt so badly, hobbled to the edge of the town, collapsed under a tree, and fell asleep. And when he woke up, the entire town was crowded around him. And yet, he was totally surprised. He thought they were going to kill him. Because they were so angry, just a few hours before. But then the man of the town, chief, came to him and said, Look, we saw your feet. We want to hear what you have to say. We saw your feet. Your feet were full of blisters and open sores and blood. It's amazing that you could even walk. 
We want to know why did this guy walk all the way to our village to tell us about something we could care less about. They wanted to know why he was willing to suffer so much to bring them a message and what that message really meant. It's an amazing story. And I think that there's something about the fact that he was willing to go that far, and there was a testament to his character, and his people really wanted to know why this guy was wired the way he was. But I think there's actually something more going on there. The wounds on his feet were a kind of gospel reenactment. Do you know what I mean by that? When the villagers saw the wounds of this man, who was a messenger of Christ, they saw the wounds of Christ on the cross. They saw vividly, first person, live and technicolor, what Jesus, some of the wounds that Jesus received on the cross for them. They could see that Jesus was wounded for their transgressions. And in five stripes was he. Look, that's a cool story, right? But we're not missionaries in India. I mean, some of us want to be, some of us have no inclination to be, but we're just not missionaries in India. And so, what does this have to do with our lives? Um, what does this have to do without making us guilty? What does this self-sacrificial love look for look like for other people's sakes in New Mexico State? Right? Verses 25, 28, 1 and 2 tell us, basically, that not just for Paul, but for all of us, this kind of love looks like ministry. Not just preachers, not just apostles like Paul, but all of us. Ministry. Here's what it looks like. Look at verse 2, for example. It looks like coming alongside other people and comforting them. Speaking comfort to their hearts. Connecting with people that we dislike or we're different from. It looks like doing this and then lifting up the riches of Jesus Christ before their eyes and your eyes. Before all of our eyes. And Paul's love is showing us a better way. Struggling and toiling and suffering for other people. Let me give it. Let me be real uh, concrete. And the best way I'm doing that is a metaphor. Believing Jesus is inside of you looks like moving from being guests who weigh their weekend options to being people who host things, inviting the likable and the unlikable, the same people to you, the different people. <coughs> Believing that Jesus is the great mystery looks like taking ownership of your relationships and giving yourself away, giving ourselves away, instead of shopping other people clean of fun. This is going to hurt awful. This is going to hurt something terrible to do. That's the whole point of this passage, is that if Jesus wasn't everything, then we could never do this. Friendship, dating, loving people in general feels like dying. Do you get that? Probably not. I don't get that. You quickly learn that you will believe when you love people and you will have scars. If you haven't been hurt yet by your friend, maybe you guys just don't know each other well enough. Maybe you're not even friends. To be honest, right here, right now, even now, I feel like the incredible way of trying to love people well. And it makes me just want to quit everything. Just does. I feel spiritually sore and emotionally raw in a way that you have no idea about. It's hard to even give this sermon, to be honest. 
I discover every day new people who dislike me and dislike RUF for reasons I can't understand. Maybe some of the reasons I understand, maybe I've hurt them intentionally or unintentionally. And that just kills me. And in other ways, I'm just plain hurt by people. And this hurts something bad too. And here's the question, where do you, where do I turn in this weakness and in this woundedness? If you love people this side of heaven, it's going to hurt. It feels like a bone grinding mill. Where do we turn? We have one pitch. One pitch, a fastball down the middle. That's forgiveness, that's strength, that's healing. And that pitch is Jesus Christ. That's the only place we can go when we're sinful and when we're sinned against. That's the only place that we can go that has glorious love. And let me tell you what that glorious love sounds something like. It sounds something like this. Only love. Only love can leave such a mark. But only love, only love can heal such a scar. Do you get that? Only love can leave such a mark. But only love can heal such a scar. We get it marked up. Or we get it healed. That's all I've got. A naked Jewish guy on a cross. That's it. That's what this whole passage is about. This whole Bible is about. Go find the secret. That's far. The mystery's here. I'm living it. And I don't always love it. And I pray that we would all live it. And love it. It's crazy. Father, um, it's awesome you are so weak and vulnerable so that we can be weak and vulnerable and just die just like you can. That's why we have to be um, that you're inside of us. And thank you that this is the secret. This is the mystery. And I'm sorry that I just can't do a good enough job of raising it high. Um, I pray that you would uh, fill up what's lacking here. I pray that you would show fully and vivid imagery and vivid color what it means that Jesus died for people like us. I pray that we would know what that means. I pray that you would, we would know how to live in light of that, how to love in light of that, and how to carry things that we can't possibly carry, but that you inside of us can. Yeah, that patience not help.